today, uh, big day, a big day, Mission Church of the Nazarene. You know, uh, all that is in front of us, you know, all that's behind us and the things that the church has done. And I know we stand on the shoulders of some great saints and people that have sacrificed and they've given. But they've given for this future that is before us. And the challenge that, that looms. And, and, and we talk about, we talk about the mission. And I love our name, by the way, Mission Church of the Nazarene. And we talk about the mission, the vision that God has given us. And you say, wow, what a, what a surmountable mountain that we face. I, I, I think of the story of a man by the name of George Mallory who was, who was the best of the best in mountain climbers. And George Mallory was a man that was determined to climb to the top of Mount Everest. Of course, the tallest mountain in the world. And he was determined to make it to the top. And uh, he may have, but had tragedy not struck and he had fallen and he had been lost in his climb. In fact, it was his third attempt. He had taken a team with him. His third attempt, and it was 1924, that uh, he became lost on the mountain, only about 2,000 feet from the peak. And, and so he was to never be found again. And that is until 1999. Now, we know that, of course, later on in 1953, a couple other guys... Uh, Sir Edmund Hillary and a guy by the name of Sherpa, they didn't make it to the top of the mountain. And several people have made it to the peak of Mount Everest since then. But it was in 1999 <clears throat> that they discovered the body of George Mallory. And it's interesting, as I read the article about how his, his, his corpse was found, he, he, was, he was found prone on his stomach. And in fact, he was, he was facing towards the peak and, and it, it described that his arms were above his head like this and his fingers were clawing the ice. And in fact, his face was towards the peak. It had been recorded to say, he, he said, he said at one time when being interviewed, he said, I cannot imagine coming down defeated. And he gave his life. He gave his life for his effort. So determined to, to, to rise and to make it to the very top of the mountain, the insurmountable mountain. I wonder, I wonder if that's kind of how the early church felt when, when the early church began to dream and build, you know, this thing that is a movement of God. And, and, and I imagine even the early church of the Church of the Nazarene. And, and in fact, I looked at some of the history of, of the Church of the Nazarene. And, and I, I, of course, learned what some of the things that I, I knew, some of the things I didn't know, but that it really kind of got going about 1907. The Associated Press of Pentecostal Churches of, of America and the Church of the Nazarene jointly convened in Chicago, Illinois. Uh, the facts tell us this. They, they organized a church, as you well know, a church of superintendency with congregational rights that the superintendent would not, you know, overthrow the right of the, the, the congregation. And so the, the superintendent would give care and counsel and encouragement to the pastor, but the congregation would have some power themselves as they're building the church. It's interesting in the statistics and trivia, I I learned that for the first few years, we were called the Pentecostal Church of the Nazarene. How many knew that? Raise your hand. Kind of interesting. The Pentecostal Church of the Nazarene. And then it wasn't until about the fifth uh, General Assembly in 1919 that that we changed the name of the church officially from Pentecostal Church of the Nazarene to what? The Church of the Nazarene. Now, I'm I'm trying to imagine in my mind's eye the excitement, Paul, the exhilarating time of the church. I mean, when there was this movement and this excitement that God was afoot and God was doing something and a church was being formed. It certainly was a birth of a movement, a vision of the kingdom of God. And the, the, the thing that we have in common for the church then and the church now is that certainly they did not know what the future held. 
And we certainly do not know what the future holds. But there's one thing that is certain that they knew is that they were they were out to build the kingdom of God. And ladies and gentlemen, that's exactly the vision that God gives us as a church. It's a a vision of the church that is being the church, a church that may not know the future, but is an exciting future. And you, folks, you are part of that future. And we're trusting the Lord in that. I want to begin today by reading a prayer and invite, invite you to pray this prayer with me. We'll read it and just make this our prayer this morning as we realize again that the future is uncertain but we know it's in God's hands. Let's pray this together, congregation. God, we have no idea where we are going. We do not see the road ahead of us. We cannot know for certain where it will end. Nor do we really know ourselves. And the fact that we think we are following your will does not mean that we are actually doing so. But we believe that the desire to please you does, in fact, please you. And we hope we have that desire in all that we are doing. We hope that we will never do anything apart from that desire. And we know that if we do this, you will lead us by the right road, though we may know nothing about it. Therefore, we will trust you always, even though we may seem to be lost and in the shadow of death. We will not fear, for you are ever with us, and you will never leave us to face our perils alone. And all God's people said, Amen. I love what Aristotle once said, or once wrote. He says, the soul never thinks without a picture. The soul never thinks without a picture. Andy Stanley wrote a book called uh, Visionary. Uh, He he, he writes about the fact that vision begins in the heart and the soul of men and and women uh, who are consumed by the tension of what is and what is to be. What is and what can be. I'll never forget the conversation that I had with my son. Remington is 27 years of age. He just got married a few weeks ago. And Heidi and I flew to Florida, a real fast trip. And we performed the wedding. I performed the wedding for him and his new bride, Jackie. We're so very happy to have Jackie a part of the family. But I'll never forget the conversation that I had with Remington probably about two, two and a half years ago when he had come home from college for the second time. And we had sent him to college. But he came home frustrated and He'd quit college and he said, Dad, I just hate school. I don't know why. I've tried. I've tried to make myself. I just said, I said, okay, it's all right. I said, let's, let's think about this. He got a job at a local grocery store. And then he said one morning or one morning I said, I said, let's go to breakfast. And so I went to breakfast and I said to Remington, I said, I tell you what, Remington, I said, here's what I want you to do. I said, I, I would like you because he was really frustrated, didn't know what he wanted to do with life. So I said, Remington, what I'd like you to do is I'd like you to get a picture in your mind of what you would like life to be like. I mean, what you could imagine yourself doing for the rest of your life. And I want to invite you to take some time and to shape that image, that picture in your mind of what life could be like if you got what you really wanted in life. And so I had the conversation with him and, you know, kind of just kind of was just staring at me. I don't know if it was, you know, ringing a bell or I was hitting home. But anyhow, so some time passes is about six months, I think, that passed and my son said dad I want to go with you or I want to go to breakfast with you that's when he said that I want to go to breakfast with you and I said okay let's go to breakfast and so uh, we went to breakfast and he said dad I've been thinking about what you you said to me now it's been six months I'm 54 years old I said what did I say to you (laughs) and he said well you told me to get a picture in my mind I mean an image in my mind of what I'd like life to be like 
And I said, okay, so what have you come up with? He said, Dad, I want to own my own business. I want, to, I want to start a business. I said, well, what do you think you're going to do? He said, well, you know, I've been cleaning carpets for this family at the church that I pastored at the time for eight years, all through junior high and high school. He was a helper. And then in college, he kind of took on a more responsible role. And he, he did that thing. And, and he said, that, that's really what I want to do. I want to be my own boss. And I said, well, you know, your mother and I, we're going to get behind you. And so we sat down and we devised a plan and we, we contributed and he contributed. And that kid, I'm telling there was a light switch that was flipped in his head. He began to put in 12 and 14 hour days and he began to market. And began, folks, it's been about a year and a half. He called me this week and he was filled with joy. He was emotional. He said, Dad, I am so blessed. And I said, why is that? He says, customers are calling me so much. He says, I'm having to put them off two or three weeks to be able to get the job done because I'm so busy. God had blessed and God blessed him in the the way that he thought about his life. And for Remington, the vision began because there was a clear dissatisfaction of what was. The vision began, get that, because there was a clear dissatisfaction of what was. For Remington, vision Carried with it a sense that things could be better. I mean, he began to imagine his life, a better life, and he began to imagine himself his own boss, having his own company. You see, real vision has a sense of conviction of what not only could be, but what, what should be. And I would say it like this. If vision is the art of seeing things invisible, then planning is the path to making that vision a reality. You say, well, pastor, what is vision? Is it goals? Well, goals are fantastic and, and they're very energizing when we set goals, especially when we reach those goals, right? But, but vision is something different altogether. I mean, vision, it propels us into the future and, and it gives us a, a place that are, that is uncharted and territories that we've never experienced before and, and territories that, that are ordained by God when it's a vision of God, a, a space that is occupied like the very same space of the disciples of Christ. I remember in John chapter 6, looking around verse 66, if you want to turn there, go, go to John chapter 6, looking at verse 66. And, and there Jesus was talking about, if you want to have eternal life, you must eat my flesh and you must drink my blood. And he was really challenging those that were following him or calling themselves disciples of Christ. And, and then as he began to challenge them, there was this response from those that had called themselves disciples of Christ, not the twelve, but others. And it says that they began to turn away. In fact, in John chapter 6, looking at verse 66, we read, From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. And then Jesus spoke, verse 67, You do not want to leave too, do you? He asked the twelve. I wonder what motivated the disciples. I mean, they're in the early church and in the midst of persecution and destruction, even death itself. And many went to their death because of their faithfulness to Jesus Christ and, and the kingdom of God. And I'm, I'm wondering, what was it that drove them? I would have to say this if I, I were to coin anything. was It was because of a Jesus mentality. They experienced a Jesus mentality. They experienced that Jesus was, was just not about himself, that he was something about something that is greater than himself, something that was bigger than the world. He was about the kingdom of God. Amen. It was the Jesus mentality that Jesus shows us when he goes to the cross and he gives his life upon the cross. And so Jesus not only told them the truth, but he showed them the truth and he showed them how to die. And he gave his life. 
on Calvary. Jesus showed him this. And in their Jesus mentality, they began to follow the very same thing. And, and it transformed their lives as they began to live a life that was so countercultural. I'll, I'll never forget the first time that I, I had the opportunity as a very young boy to pray with somebody uh, when they made a choice to begin to follow Jesus Christ. I, I was 11 years old when I asked Jesus into my heart. I, how many remember I said that before? I shared that. I asked Jesus in my heart. I was at a movie theater and, and uh, this old guy came up and after the movie and asked if I wanted to pray this prayer. And I really didn't know what I was doing for sure. But all I knew is that I wanted Jesus to be a part of my life. And we prayed the prayer together. And it was like a bucket of warm honey that, that came down upon my head and, and just covered me from head to toe. And the presence of God was there as I began to make that choice and say, I'm following Jesus. I was so excited about it. My parents knew that there, there was something special that had happened to me. And so uh, they bought me a Bible that Christmas. And so I got a Bible for Christmas. And I began to read the Bible and dig into the word. I was excited about being a Christian and knowing who this Jesus was. So about three months after I'd received my Bible, I was at my buddy's house, one of my best friend's house. His name is Jerry. Remember now, we're only 11 years of age. And I was reading my Bible at my friend's house before bedtime. We were laying there getting ready to go to sleep. And Jerry said, well, what are you doing, Tony? I said, well, I'm reading my Bible. Why do you want to do that? That sounds boring. And so I said, well, because then I began to say and share in my awkward 11-year-old way that Jesus Christ had become a part of my life. And I shared with him that night that I prayed and I said, Jesus, I choose you. And, and folks, as he listened to me, something began to happen. And in my awkward 11-year-old way, with no training, no memorizing, in a very organic way, the, the Spirit of God moved and worked through me. And I had the opportunity to pray with my friend Jerry to invite Jesus to become a part of his life. And Jerry began to follow Jesus Christ from that day forward. Folks, the, the excitement that I experienced that night was exactly the same kind of excitement I experienced when I prayed and asked Jesus to become a part of my life. And there's something that happened in me that, I mean, it had been, it had been being shaped and formed and, and God had, had, had been speaking to me, but something happened inside of me that night and it continued to be shaped until I was about 15 years of age and at 15 I accepted a call to the preaching ministry, full-time preaching or pastoral ministry. And in that, that calling, the Lord put a passion in me to do something and that is to share Jesus Christ with people, to share Jesus Christ with the world, and not just with a few people, but to share Jesus Christ with not just hundreds, but thousands of people. And, and ladies and gentlemen, God, when He gives us a vision, when He gives us a vision, it's sometimes an impossible vision. It's sometimes impossible. In fact, that's one of the telltale signs of, of a God sized vision or a God ordained vision is that it's probably going to be impossible to accomplish. Amen. I, I want us to notice two things. First off, when we have the shared energy of vision or a sense of oneness that, that moves us in the same direction, like the north on compass, and, and we're really, literally going in the same direction, there's two things I'd like us to notice about vision. First, God-ordained vision will eventually feel like a moral imperative. And the reason why is because God paints, he paints that vision on the canvas of our hearts. And as we begin to process the vision that God gives us, especially as a church, a congregation, and as individuals, 
it, it becomes such a pull and such a, a, a commission that God gives us that it almost becomes disobedience not to follow that vision that God has given us. So God-ordained vision will eventually feel like a moral imperative. The second thing that I want to share with you, number two, is that God-ordained vision will be in line with what God is up to in the world. I mean, there's no question that Calvary outlines the mandate. I mean, that, that Jesus Christ came to this world that, that we might have relationship with our creator and that through Jesus Christ, we could have that relationship. And that sharing Jesus Christ with the world around us in our community is what God has called us to do. And so there's no question that Calvary outlines and defines God's plan. But we should see how our vision also is tied into God's master plan so that we say, okay, here's the vision that God gives us as a church or as a local church, Mission Church of the Nazarene. How does our vision tie into the master plan that God has given his church universal? And so we recognize that what God is doing around the world might be exactly how God is going to work through our local congregation. Amen. I, I, I celebrate that our work and witness team uh, just got home. I guess uh, I'm not sure what time they arrived last night, but uh, I hear, Jeff, you said you're really tired. And what time did you guys get home? Probably about nine-ish, and so you've been working all week long, and they've been doing ministry, doing missions, and and so it's exciting that we are part of missions, global missions, and missions just across the border down the road. But the question is, how are we doing at missions right here in San Diego, California? I asked the staff, I said, if you were to speak to somebody, I mean, you were to talk to somebody that maybe knew that our church existed, but they do not attend our church. I said, what would they say? What would the community say that, that we are known for? What would really, I mean, the people that you know that do not attend church here, what would they say that, that, that we are known for? So the challenge for us is to be thinking about that. How do we want to impact our community? How do we want to impact San Diego, California for the glory of the kingdom of God? Amen. And I understand that, yes, Calvary outlines the mandate, but a mission for a local church, a mission for a local body of Christ is is very unique. I mean, we understand the mandate, but what is the, the unique characteristics and what is the purpose that the church exists right now today on this plot of ground at what is it? Forty seven fifty Mission Gorge Place. I mean, what is the purpose that God has given us? I, I think it's a, a question that, that we can ask. Maybe for us, we can look at Nehemiah. In fact, we go to Nehemiah chapter one. If you have God's word, I invite you to turn there. Let's use the Bible this morning. So go to Nehemiah chapter one. And we're going to pick up at verse four and look down through verse nine together this morning. And really what we're looking at is we're looking at the story of exile and renewal. And exile and renewal meaning exile that the people... God's people had been scattered, the city sacked, the walls had been knocked down of Jerusalem, and the walls had been destroyed. And so we now come to Nehemiah, and he prays this prayer in regards to that holy city. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. This is verse 4, chapter 1, Nehemiah, verse 4. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the Lord or before the God of heaven. And I said, O God, 
of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenants and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's family, have committed against you. We have acted very wickedly toward you. We have not obeyed the commands, decrees, and laws you gave your servant Moses. Remember the instruction you gave your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands, then even if your exiled people are at the farthest horizon, imagine that, at the farthest horizon, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place that I have chosen as a dwelling for my people. Notice in the beginning of the prayer, as he begins to pray, it says that he, he sits down and, and he begins to cry. And, and folks, the reason that he sits down or that he begins to cry is not, not because of the condition of the walls. He sits down and he begins to cry because of the condition of the people's hearts. And I'm thinking in my mind's eye, if God is to give us a vision and we are to march forward and march on for the glory of God and to be a part of expanding his kingdom. I'm wondering, maybe is it possible that 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 is our hearts that he wants to work in first? It's possible that he wants to work through our spirit first and he wants to make sure that our spirit is right and that we are looking towards You know, the future that that God has given us and that we make sure that our heart is right with him. Amen. And just a little bit, we're going to gather outside and kind of in round table fashion. And we're going to ask some questions and we're going to ponder on what it is that God might do in San Diego and what God might do through Mission Church and through you as we consider the future and we'll think about our campus and master plan and we'll think about the purpose that we do exist here at 4750 Mission Gord Place. But, but you see, before all of that, and we'll have fun doing that, but before all of that, we need to consider the question about maybe what God is doing in our hearts. What God is doing in your heart and what needs to happen maybe there so that we can move forward as God has called us to move forward. And I understand there's a lot that we've been through. I understand that. But what is it that God needs to do in our hearts? What does God need to transform in our our minds so that we can move forward? And so I want to share with you, I, I have a vision and the vision is more about our spirit than it is about, you know, the master plan and buildings and all that stuff and new ministries. And we'll get to that. But the, the vision that God has laid on my heart is really about our spirit and, and our willingness. And so I want to share with you this, this nine point vision that God has laid on my heart for Mission Church of the Nazarene. The first one is I have a vision of high morale with people that are excited to be at church and a part of what the church is doing. Folks, it is hard. <laughs> To move forward if there's not some excitement and, and some, some focus. Amen. And so today is about stirring the pot and getting some excitement about moving forward with what God, God is doing. The second thing is a vision to see 50, 60, even 70% of people engaging themselves in some kind of ministry. And so that we're not only the church that is gathered, that we are the church that is scattered. And we're the church that are doers and we're part of ministry. And we're excited about that ministry and we're doing that ministry as some of us are doing right now. I, I'm excited. This morning at 8 a.m., I came in and 
And about 8.15, Paul stood and he prayed with a, a group of, I don't know, about 25 people or something like that. And, and they held hands in a big circle. And we prayed about impacting people's lives for Christ. And the 7-Up follow-up team moved into the positions. And, and ministry began to happen as people came upon our campus. And you see, that's for those that you begin to bring to church with you. So we go to number three. It's a vision, a vision of people of all ages being called into full-time ministry because they are witnessing the joy of serving. Nothing, nothing thrills me more than when somebody says, Pastor, I've, I've been called to, to be a teen pastor. I've been called to be a preacher. I, I love the conversation I had with Sam Elliott, who was sitting there earlier. And Sam, she, she uh, shared with me just this last week, I think it was Wednesday. I said, what are you going to do with your life? She says, well... I, I, I'm thinking, I, I think I, I'm supposed to be a senior pastor. And I said, wow, Sam, I'm behind you 100%. It's thrilling when people are called to ministry. Number four, I have a vision to create a climate of inviting others to attend church by intentionally building organic relationships outside of the church. And, and that really, that, that's really intentional. I, I remember just uh, maybe a month or two ago, we, we had a friend day. And it was a day that we're to invite, and I think maybe a couple, couple people came. A couple people were invited. And so I, I looked at my staff, I said, we have some work to do to create a climate of inviting, that we might invite people. That's what we're getting ready for, that we might invite people and bring them to meet Jesus Christ. Amen. That's what it's about. Number five. A vision of services that are filled with five-star worship and powerful biblical preaching so that when people, they come here, they encounter the living Christ and they realize that this is the word of God and there's no question about it. Number six, a vision of a church that is truly a church of prayer so that we have prayer going on all week long. And on Sunday mornings, we have a, a war room set up somewhere where people are signing up and at least two people are praying for the services, during the services, and that we are a mobilized church of prayer. Amen. Amen. God will bless that. Number seven, to, to have a vision to become more visible in San Diego and be able to answer the question about how we are impacting our local community for Christ. And I mentioned that already. How are we impacting San Diego with the ministry of, of Mission Church of the Nazarene? Uh, eight, a vision to be on the cutting edge of technology for the good of ministry so so that we have, you know, up-to-date uh, website and we have a phone app and we have, you know, ways to blog and ways to minister to people in our technology, even in the services, so that God might be glorified as we are on cutting-edge technology. And the last one is a vision to see our church be an inviting church and reach new attendance levels and expand our campus beyond these four walls. Again... If it is a God-ordained vision, it will likely seem to be impossible. What is God challenging us to dream for his glory and for his kingdom at Mission Church of the Nazarene? You're a part of that. I, I have a motto this morning. This is it. My motto for today is God needs you. I need you. And together we can do anything. Amen. Together we can do anything. I believe that. I want to prepare our hearts this morning as we move out towards our lunch time together. Uh, we are uh, we have some tables set up all over the campus out there in the courtyard and the fellowship hall. And what we're going to do is I'm going to bless the food right here. I'm going to bless the food, and I want to invite you to immediately go to the food lines and get your food, and you go to your table. And uh, after our response time, you go to your table, and then what you'll do is you'll have a survey on each table. 
And you'll designate one person at each table to be the recorder, or to be the secretary. And then you'll have that person uh, fill out the data. They'll ask questions about who's sitting at your table. But then they'll read a question. The recorder will read a question. And then you discuss the question as a table. Now, this is important. The recorder is not to write down, if you have eight people at your table, is not to write down eight different responses. <laughs> but you are to discuss it in roundtable form and come up with a summary that you can all agree on. And then you write down that summary to the questions that are being asked. And so you have a recorder. You've got to designate somebody kind of like the person that's going to do the writing. And then you'll discuss the questions as you're having your lunch together. And it will be easy peasy, slick and easy, right? <laughs> Well, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna worship a little bit, and we're going to pray for the Lord to, to direct us. It's possible, I understand, and, and, and all the, the focus and the vision and the future and all that, I understand that really we come to church to be ministered to. And I understand that some of us, that we come here with some burden on our heart, and maybe today what you really need is you need just God... You need God to minister to you and give you strength and give you hope this morning. I want to invite you to, to do that. Allow God to just speak to your heart and minister to you in whatever need that you're bringing to the Lord today. You know what it is. He knows what it is. And so as we respond, we're going to worship and we're going to have a response time. I invite you to listen to the Lord this morning as you come, you sup with him and you worship him. For some of us, maybe we're talking about, we are talking about vision. And maybe that is missing in your own individual life. And you need to sit down and do what I challenge my son to do. Get a picture, get an image of what you're hoping your life to be. And you need to come and talk to God about that. You need to give it to the Lord. You imagine what your life might be if you were walking with Jesus.